Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Hey, Amos. It's good to see you. We forgot to clap. <laughs> no, I, what are you talking about? We, I just did. You were we so fast, I wasn't ready. <laughs> Listen, you got to get your head in the game. Have you Everything been that's watching in the show too much in the high show. school musical? No, I'm saying like you. How we've done this for over a year now, and we start recording the show before the show, so that everything that's in the show is in the show. Right. Okay. Fair enough. We don't edit for content. <laughs> we might have to clap again at the very Con- end. Content. No, that's true. We don't at all. Do you do you like it when people refer to the things that you do as content? Uh, I mean, it's better than some words I've heard him use. So. <laughs> mm, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Why? Why does that bother you? Does no, I just, I just think it's like it's it's like referring to your employees as resources. Oh, truth. If that uh, seems like it, it falls into that same category. And you know how much I hate that. Mm-hmm. People work here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, you're yeah, a valuable that's, resource. That's terrible. Terrible human resource. Why did you do that to me? Now, now, if somebody says content, I'm going to feel like I need to go shower. <laughs> Your content. It's not a fun word. No, it's really not. So I've had everybody here at my house the last few days. I have people working on the front of my house. It nobody put vapor barrier house wrap on this house when they built it. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of leak that was coming in around my window and like destroyed the front wall of my house. Was it was your house built before vapor barrier was invented? No. <laughs> okay. No. My house. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Yeah, it's legitimate, legitimate. But no, after the turn of this century is my house. And then I had a sprinkler guy here because I never owned sprinklers and didn't know you had to winterize them, and so mm. my sprinklers were all messed up. And and uh, how do you winterize oh. a sprinkler? Um, so I've had sprinklers, but they were in Florida. And oh yeah, so um, you have to actually like shut down the system and then hook a, an air compressor up to it and blow oh. all the water out. Sure, sure. Um, which Fair. I didn't do because yeah. I didn't that know. Makes sense. But they, it wasn't broke. It had just pushed a bunch of um, cap things off whenever it it uh, right because it expands or whatever. Yep. So. It was a whole lot better than finding out that it busted underneath the ground or something. Yeah, that would be bad. So it'd be non-optimal. And then yesterday, I also had a guy come and spray my yard for mosquitoes because this koi pond in the backyard is a mosquito trap. Well, not a trap, pond, I guess. Ponds, ge- it, ponds it, gen- there. It's a breeding pool. Yes, yes, it's horrible. Um, it, it's like, uh, yeah, and and a resort destination. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. It's crazy it's, how it's many. It's the Sandals Island for mosquitoes. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's more of a hedonistic resort than Sandals. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that's what Sandals was. <laughs> oh, maybe. Uh, this is this is a high quality elixir. This is this is right the here. grade A elixir content that people tune in for. That's right. Um. um yeah, I thought all pawns were. Yeah, it were were. We're mosquito havens. It's terrible. I don't even really like the pond. Neither does my wife. I like the sound of the. It's got like a waterfall on it, mm-hmm. and that a sound water feature is kind a water, of a water nice. Feature. Yeah, yeah. But I think I'd rather put a big patio in the backyard and have a brick pizza oven. 
right? Like a wood pizza oven. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe one day I'll get I'll get a get excited about doing some work out there and get it done. So what have you been up to? Oh what have I been doing? Well, I released Norm. It's open source now. Ooh, okay, so tell me about Norm. It, I mean, I've I've kind of looked at it a little bit, but give me give me yeah. So it's give one me the half, full speech. It's one half of all the data specification designed by contract stuff I've been working on, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not finished yet. Um, these are the ideas that have sort of been germinating for a long time, but I finally open sourced it so people can start kind of giving me feedback on the API parts of it. Um, but what it allows you to do is to take any arbitrary predicate, so any function that returns a Boolean, mm-hmm. and you can create a spec out of it, a specification for data. And then you can use those, you can kind of build those up with some other sort of more, you, with some with some other things like schemas. Like you can kind of say, this is a set of keys, like a map uh, and values, and these are the specifications for the values themselves. Um, these are the keys that we should expect, or you can create selections of those schemas. So you can say, you know, kind of define optional keys that way. And yeah, it allows you to sort of build all this stuff up so you can specify data moving throughout your system. And you can use it at the edge, like, like people kind of want to do with like Ecto change sets. This does something very similar to that. So you can kind of say, I want you to take all this input in and tell me if it's good or not, and then create error messages out of it and um, return those back to people and that kind of stuff. The error messages I think are pretty useful. It gives you like a big list of stuff that's wrong and it'll tell you exactly where in the keys that things are wrong and you can have like deeply nested structures and it can kind of tell you like through the nested structure, which part of it is wrong and why it failed the specification. So you can kind of specify all that kind of stuff and then, um, and then, and then like determine whether or not your, your data is good or not or return good errors. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's part of it. It does all that stuff. But then the other part of it is that you can unform it. You can uh, actually take it and you can get generators out of them. So you can take your specifications of your schemas or specs or whatever, and you can say, all right, now generate me good values. What are you using for generation? Are you doing it yourself or? No, we use stream data under the hood. Okay. And the reasons for that are... Um, License, license, okay. basically licensure, and be also because like that's a thing that um, that's the thing that that uh, most people in Elixir are probably using, mm-hmm. and also like I think the API composes a little bit easier with what we're doing. Okay, uh, I think I think Stream Data's API like kind of composes well with this. So yeah, so it'll turn around. It can turn around and give you Stream Data generators, and you can then use those in your property-based tests, or you can use them in development. If you want to seed your database, you can go in and say, like, give me 20 of this thing, and because you've specified the shape of the data, it can just generate that for you. Nice. And you can store them in your database somewhere or whatever. You can use them to generate parameters for HTTP calls for tests. So if you want to test your API, you can specify the shape of the data coming into the system, and then generate it, and then use those to build tests, uh, like API tests and stuff like that. Nice. Um, which I find really helpful. And and we give you escape patches. So if you, you know, we infer the generator, but as we've talked about before on these on, on different episodes, 
allowing the thing to infer the generator is useful-ish. Like, it's useful to kind of get something going, Mm -hmm. but you really often want to go in there and start tweaking things and tweaking the scaling factors and the sizes and all that kind of stuff. And so, because of that, uh, we give you an escape hatch. So, if you wanted to find your own generator, you can. And because they're just stream data generators, if you call, like, the, the, the function name in norm is gen. So, if you call gen with your schema or your spec it outputs a stream data generator and then you can just pass that to stream data.bind or stream data.filter or whatever. Like you can then start to tweak it. When, so when, when you, you are, um, when you're creating your custom generators, like you said, do, do mm-hmm. they still need to be stream data generators or? Yeah, because they have to compose that way. I mean, okay. You, and so we actually do limit you to do that. So you couldn't use it with like proper. Okay. That's, I mean, it's tough. Like I, I went back and forth on that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably like, there's probably an argument to be made that it like should support both or something like that. So you could, you can kind of like move back and forth between the two worlds. Uh, but for right now it supports, it supports stream data out of the yeah, box. Version 1.1. Yeah. Well, and this is, it's like, yeah, it's, it's really, really early. So, you know, there's there's still some work to do there. And and we've tried to write up the docs so that it helps guide you through, like, how to use this stuff and why it may... Like, the generators may or may not be super, super useful, but they're useful as a starting point. So, have you... Uh, how long has it been out now? Like, three days. So, have you uh, had At the time of this recording. Fe- <laughs> have you had any feedback yet? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Um, I just wasn't sure if anybody jumped on and started using it. Nah. No. Well, I mean, we're using it. We're using like we've been prototyping different ideas and stuff like that at Bleach uh, Report. Okay. With uh friends of the show, friends of the show, Jason and Jeff, uh getting like input from them as I've been working out the API and getting their feedback and um they've been really, really helpful with that. And we're starting to like pull it into one of our services. So it's been really useful um as like a discussion uh point to start to think about how to do these sort of validations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely still a lot of niceties in the API that I want to build. There's a lot of other functionality that we'll need to build at some point. But this hopefully helps like get people going. And, and getting the API right is really the key. Like Figuring out how to make that API really seamless is really the key. So, so we're working on that. Um, but it's out there. It's pretty cool. So what's been the uh, biggest challenge in implementing it? How long have you been working on it? Let's start there. When you say working, what do you mean working? I mean, I mean, because <laughs> I've been thinking about this for like, I don't know, like months, months. I mean, I've probably been thinking about it for longer than months, but actively thinking about it for, I don't even know, maybe half a year, like just thinking about it and thinking about how it would compose. And we built a real rough prototype in Ruby because mm-hmm. um, we needed it. For a different thing that's written in Ruby originally. Okay, I was going to ask why did you why did you prototype? No, 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 no like Ruby? not for fun. Like we did it because like Jason and I, uh, the aforementioned friend of the show, uh, were working on a Ruby project and we built it. And Jason's in KC, so he's a he lot is. cooler than you. Yeah, that's true. He's he's no, super actually, cool guy. that's just like a real thing. Jason is way cooler than me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like we built a rough prototype of that of some of these ideas in Ruby, and so we worked on that for a bit, and then. So, but yeah, like these ideas have been germinating for a long time and then thinking through the API parts of it, 
like I did like, I don't know, three different prototypes for different mm-hmm. APIs. And this is the one I sort of landed on and threw all the others away really rapidly. So, but actively working on it and getting it to this point, I don't know, like a couple weekends. Okay. And, and it's, I don't know, it's like three or four weekends. So, so what did this stem out of? Like what caused you to, to want to build this? I'm just going to, I'm going to use the name. What caused you to want to build norm? There you go. Little marketing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we don't, a couple things. One, oh man, there's so many things here. One is like, it's a backlash in my mind against a little bit against like the type system thing where I actually kind of think these being able to specify shapes of data in this way uh, and use it arbitrarily throughout your system is sort of like more interesting. Mm-hmm. So part of it's like, I want to prove, I wanted to prove that you could, that this was useful and maybe it won't, maybe it won't prove that at all and I'll be wrong. Uh, and that's fine too. But for me, like this is the thing that I've, I've wanted to use for a while. I could see it being very useful, especially at the edges of your system, mm-hmm. you know, where, where you have, have strange input coming in that you have to deal with anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having some kind of system to hand back errors and, and things. That's why I've at, at points have said, I wish I had Ecto change set separate from Ecto was mainly for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Ecto change sets are so database focused that half of the validations and stuff like that don't matter. Um, yeah. So I think this, this sounds like something that I'm going to find quite useful. I'd love to, to dig into it a little more. Yeah. I mean, so that's part of it is like, I also wanted a, a different way to compose certain things. Like I wanted a different way to compose a lot of validations. And this also gets to the sort of, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this as like a meme before, but the, the whole like data is data is greater than functions is greater than macros thing or whatever. <laughs> it's like, like that's nonsense. Like, because those are all <laughs> in an ideal world, those would all be the same things, but like, uh, whatever. Like macros are data. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> they, whatever. They're... Anyway, uh, so part of it too is like I wanted more arbitrary power. Like I didn't want a, you know, there are tools out there that'll that give you like, here's a map and here's like our 10 predicates that you can use to describe how this how this data, how the shape of the data is formed. So hopefully you can shoehorn everything that you care about into that shape and then use data to specify it. And I find that to be not useful because you don't have enough expressive power. Like you're limited by like whatever you know, keys in a map or f- special functions that they, that they provide to you in these libraries. So how does norm differ in that? Uh, you can use any arbitrary predicate you want. Like you can bring anything to the table uh, and we just allow you to make a specification out of that. So anything that returns true or false. Yep. Yep. Anything that makes that returns true or false, you can use and you can compose them um, together with and and or the keywords and, um, I mean, we do obviously have some like higher order things like that we, pro- that we provide to you, like schemas and selections and alt- alternatives and these kinds of things. Um, you can look at the library to see more about how those work, but like, you know, fundamentally like the predicate parts of it, you get to bring to the table. So you get to like extend it however you want. 
And you know, if we can work out a generator to use to generate you those values, we will. Um, which is the other the other main benefit, I think. So there are other, you know, and like Ecto Change, that's like, yeah, like I, you know, that just wasn't that wasn't the way that I wanted to describe the data like moving into my system. Mm-hmm. And so that you know that for for a whole bunch of reasons. So that was the uh, that was sort of the desire with this. So what was the the hardest part of building it? Oh, just, I mean, honestly, just getting the API right. Like I went through like five different versions of this API uh, and trying to find something that was both easy to use and, but that gave you enough sort of expressive power to do these things. Because I, I went through a bunch of varieties where, yeah, like I did the macro, like the, um, it was like super macro heavy. And then I backed way off of that. And then I went, I did one that was like, very, very data heavy. One that was just like all function compositions, like all kinds of stuff, just trying a lot of things. Cause I think API design, getting that right is really hard. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's very much like a, you know, it when you see it type situation, like, you know, when you've like the, when the API becomes fun to use or like not painful to use, you kind of know you've stumbled onto the right thing. And I, I think this API works really well for me, but then again, like, I think my tastes are different. Uh, you know, than than a lot of people in Elixir. So um, it's tough to say whether it'll have, it'll be right for the community, which is why I went ahead and open sourced it now. Like it's definitely not done, but I wanted people to be able to start experiencing that API and seeing like, hey, is this what we want? Is this good? Um, and hopefully it'll be a foundation where you can start to build things on top of it too. Cool. Like it provides you this scaffolding that will allow you to define other things. So I'm gonna put you on the spot now. Okay, I'm ready. What blast what, me? Uh, put me on blast. When, whenever you were playing with API and doing different things, uh, or even if not API, just through the development of this, what's the thing that you tried that you were like that was dumb, like the dumbest thing? Oh, the dumbest thing? Yeah, that that after you got done, you're like, oh no. <laughs> like at one point, I tried to do. At one point, I. I tried to sort of have a singular like like macro that did all the things um, and then just like sort of built it all out of like whole cloth, like just like parsing and pre-walking the AST and all these kinds of things. And that yeah. was like too much. Um, and it was all done in an effort to sort of save a lot like extra typing. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of realized like it just didn't matter. So uh, yeah, so I backed off of that. That was That got complicated really quick. Because you had all these like weird edge cases and stuff to start working like working through, so that was that wasn't necessarily like the dumbest thing I tried, but it was like, <laughs> but it was like that was the most complicated for sure. I mean, the the original one that we built is literally just lambdas, like it's just function composition. It just continually changed functions together. So why why what caused that one to be thrown out? Uh, you can't. If you do it that way, then you don't really give yourself the ability to um, to build the generators, and also you limit your ability to do like error messaging and stuff like that. Like, it's it's a worse experience because f- for in those regards, like you can't. It's just much harder to do. Like I said, error messaging. You can't say like which predicate failed because you don't know. Like you don't have a you don't have a string representation of the of the predicate that failed. And you can't also work out the generators because you just have like an anonymous function. 
Oh, right. You'd have to, I guess if you were going to do that and have it be that way, you'd have to have those functions return some very specific structured data that would include errors mm-hmm. and probably continue to pass down any errors that it had and have a, a collector of errors. Yeah. Well, and you also start to limit your ability to, I mean, you you do and you don't, you limit your ability to do like arbitrarily expressive things. Like everybody has to just compose like anonymous functions at that point, which maybe is fine mm-hmm. for what you want to do, but it didn't, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't feel right. And it didn't allow me the flexibility to do the other stuff that I thought was like really important. Mm-hmm. So like data generation is like a really important part of this for me. Like, I think that's like a really key thing. Yeah, and, I, and the composability of functions in Elixir is, is not as simple as like, if you were doing this in Haskell, it might, it's a lot easier to compose a bunch of functions together. Yeah. Uh, so that makes it, I guess that makes a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, we definitely made it work, but yeah. So, but yeah, I think it's in a, I actually think it's in a pretty good place. It's pretty easy to extend the APIs. Uh, Yeah, like I like the way it's shaping up so far. So um, next steps with it. You said it's it's early. What are your planned next steps to work on? I need to, um, there's a couple, there's like a big bunch of bullets that I need to work through. Do you have those in the in they're the, in the readme? yeah they're in the readme um, okay. of like kind of like the roadmap? Um, there's some like really low hanging fruit of you know supporting. We only support like three. We can only infer like three different primitive types right now. Okay, um, but it's easy to extend the rest. I just and so I just didn't extend the rest of them at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like supporting that would be good. The next is supporting other shapes of data like tuples and lists inside of uh, specifications. So you can say things like this is going to return a okay and error tuple. And these are the result types that are inside of that. Okay. And that error tuple, like it's going to be an exception or it's going to be, you know, an okay with this shape of data and allow you to, to further specify those kinds of things. And so that's the next that's the next thing I need to go work on. So if uh, somebody's listening, and is anyone listening? Well, not not at the moment, <laughs> just me, you, and I. But right <laughs> la- later, somebody might hear this. So if they are and and they feel like trying to get involved in Norm, what's the best place for them to to start to to look into it? Yeah, I would say like try the library out. Um, you know, add it, like, see if it works inside of your application, like find use cases that don't, that don't work or that aren't supported yet. We don't have a good pattern for, and then we can have a discussion about how to better, best like to support those things. I mean, there's definitely a lot of opinions in Norm and you'll, you'll see those when you read, if you read through the, the readme, we have real, I take real hard lines on certain things because I just think that they allow you to build more open systems. And so, you know, there's some of that. So so, but like having those discussions with people um, and being able to discuss, you know, like, hey, this use case, we don't support this use case right now. Should we? Can we? Um, how, what's the right API to make that work? Yeah, let me know. Cool. And should they just open up a GitHub issue? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not it, opposed to that. I find it to be a good place for discussion. Mm-hmm. I don't have any other questions. I kind of want to look at it. I want to read the code. See what you did. Some of it's gross. Some of it has like weird comments left over from all my random prototypes. <laughs> I, do, I was going to say, do, do, are your prototypes in the commit history? Probably. 
probably somewhere yeah. deep down in there. You can go I look. Might... There's only 18 commits on the master branch, though. Cool. So, it won't take me very long, then. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I might go look through that today if I get some time. Yeah, it should be fun. I have a topic if you want to, if you need a topic. If you oh, allow it. I, I will allow it, I guess. I mean, this is your show, so you tell me. It's my <laughs> show. <laughs> I'm just a guest. <laughs> I'm like a drifter. Uh, I'm here for, the, for I'm, I'm Mad Max. You were born to walk away? Yeah. I'll walk alone. Born like a drifter, I was born to walk. Okay, is that a song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. My bad. I wasn't trying to make a cultural reference. Uh, well, maybe it's an age thing. I don't even know when that song came out. Mm. <laughs> Go go for it. Let's let's hear your topic. I want to talk about error handling. Can we talk about error handling? Yeah. What do you? I'm I'm because uh, I feel like um, this is yet this is another classic uh, crisp move. This is a classic classic crisp bit. Because I want to like I want to poke at, at at some perceptions about okay. about error handling. All right. Let's let's poke. Woo-hoo. Oh. <laughs> So, how do I best lead into this? Uh, I should have prepared. I didn't prepare for this show at all. In fact, I was late. That that's okay. It's okay. I I've been in meetings and stuff like that, so I I had very little prep time to. And I'm currently looking for a new client, so so that's slowing me down on a lot of my prep work. I understand. Well, so okay, so error handling. How do you do error handling uh, when you're building Elixir systems? And by that I mean, what do you? When do you opt to return uh, good values? Like, when do you return an error? When do you raise an exception? When should you raise an exception? How often should you be raising exceptions? You know, do you always return okay and error tuples for everything? Do you ever return nil for anything? That kind of stuff. Uh, these are questions I pose to you. Okay, uh, I, I don't know that I've, I've sat down and thought about in what situations I choose certain things. It's, it's more like when I'm in there and looking at the API and working with it, whichever one, I guess, feels better to me. So it's, mm-hmm. very, it's very much um, how I feel. I actually attempt to not return nil, mm-hmm. mainly because sometimes if I end up with an error someplace because of a nil... It's hard for me to tell what it was should be necessarily if if it could be multiple types at that point. It's the five it, nil. It's the five billion double dollar mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what they say. I, I think that's the right amount. Five billion double dollar. All right, perfect. I don't know what a double dollar is, but does that mean it's ten billion dollar no, mistake? It's, it's just <laughs> don't explain my jokes. <laughs> I didn't know it was a joke. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, I try, I try to avoid nils, um, and exceptions too. I, I often exceptions really most of the time, unless I'm doing a very low level library, mm-hmm. which then I'll have it do an exception sometimes. But at, uh, at most levels, I say the exceptions, I, I, I don't use them as a form of communication, except for maybe when I'm trying to communicate to just a developer, and and I don't expect them to handle it. It's like you really did something completely out there that shouldn't have been done. But if it's going to take in any end user data, it shouldn't really throw any exceptions. 
my opinion. Right. Sometimes when I do air tuples, uh, I have used exceptions. So air and then an exception struct. That way, a user of the API can raise. That's a pro. Woo! I'm. Chris no, yeah, that, that's said I'm the, a pro. That's that's the pro move. Okay, wait, so wait, here, sh- I'm gonna. I'm I, gonna need, sh- sh- I need to say this again. Chris Keithley said I'm a pro. <laughs> Hire me. <laughs> put that endorsed on LinkedIn. Yeah, perfect. I'm gonna put uh, a big stamp at the top of my resume. Yeah, it says Chris Keithley says mm-hmm. I'm a pro. Endorsed on LinkedIn. <laughs> nice. <laughs> We'll come back to this, but at one point somebody asked me how I got jobs without having a LinkedIn. This was a person who worked at the same company as me. And I was like, you guys do realize like we work at the same company, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, anyway, no, uh, the pro move, if you're going to return an okay in an error tuple, then return the okay with whatever the term is that you're going to return. But in the error, you return the exception struct. So that then if you want to raise it, you can. And that's all just one thing. You're not returning like some weird sentinel value or like some tuple or something, or, or not tuple, some atom or something that tries to mm-hmm. describe your error. You just return the exception with the message in it. So you're like, sweet, this is everything I need. Now I just raise this. Yep. Done. And then and then that exception that you can define other things outside of messages and all kinds of functions that will work with mm-hmm. that exception. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's that's what I do pretty regularly. When I'm prototyping, I don't necessarily do that. Um, and then oftentimes when the when I start to solidify the prototype, I sometimes forget to go back and fix those. And so they end up in there with just an air tuple. But yeah, yeah. If I'm starting on a new project, I definitely am doing that though for the whole project. So let's say that you're let's say that you're you're building some math function. Like you're going to, I don't know, do averages or something like that. And obviously if you're doing that, you might divide by zero. Okay. What do you do in that scenario? Do you uh, return that- an exception? Do you raise an exception? Do you return an error? Do you return from, from like, you know, like how do you, how do you solve that problem? Someone's going to pass you some numbers and you're going to divide them. How do you stop those numbers from being zero? And yeah, what do you I, do? I, I guess it it depends on on the level <laughs> again at which it's used. If it's if it's supposed to be some super low level API, a lot of times I'll return an exception. Mm-hmm. But I'm 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 kind of a fan of the tag tuples too. I don't like them everywhere because they also get to be obnoxious to work with. But if I actually expect that every once in a while I'll probably get a zero in there, I would rather not throw an exception. Like mm. If this is in user input or or something like that, um, so that, so in that scenario, I will argue you absolutely should raise an exception. Always. If someone is using, if someone's using your API wrong, that is exactly where you should raise an exception. Because, and there's a bunch of reasons for this. One mm-hmm. is, I mean, just honestly, it's like super obnoxious to have to constantly pattern match out like did I call the function right? Like with an okay and error tuple mm-hmm. in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm, if I should not ever pass a zero to that function, like I don't want to have to pattern match on that. Like I'd rather that just blow up because I did it. Like that would just be well, better. Well, I, I guess that's where I'm talking about uh, at what level I'm at. Because if I'm at where, if my function is taking end user input, 
and and it's not a developer API, then then I'm I'm going to use something that that returns some errors. So like a, a better example of that would be like if you're parsing JSON. Right. You don't know if it's valid JSON or not. All you know is you got a string. Yeah. Okay. And in that scenario, I think that that's, that's closer to fair. Okay. Okay. You know, that's like the right API for that level. But I think, yeah, like if, like in the math example, right? Like I would say you, you should a hundred percent raise an exception in that scenario. And you can either raise the exception internally or even better, you can just pattern match and use guard clauses to ensure that none of the values that you're passing in are zeros. And this then assumes the that you're not passing them in as like a list or something, but yeah. So would you, so would you use a guard clause and just let the, this function doesn't exist error come up or yeah. you would, you would do that. That's a, well, yeah, yeah. I think that that's, I think that those errors suck. Like those errors are really hard to read. Um, and they're often like, why, why is this wrong? And they have, they've actually gotten better over the years. I think like that's one of the errors that's kind of like gotten nicer. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's harder to reason about those, but I actually think you do want to raise there and do using guard clauses is a really reasonable way to do that. Um, that's like a really, really quick way to do it. And it's a built in way to do it. And it also means it's fast. So that's like a really good way to do it. And also the guard clauses in your functions are your contracts. Like those are your preconditions. Like you have to pass me this kind of data for this function to work. You can't pass me garbage data and expect the function to work. Mm -hmm. You just shouldn't, you shouldn't expect that you can pass me garbage data and have this function work. And so those are the, those are like your preconditions, like in a design by contract kind of sense of, of, of the, of the term. So I would say that I, when I when I do the the guard clause stuff and I'm going to return an exception, I start out a lot the same as you, and then I end up getting mad at the error message <laughs> later, mm-hmm. and and then I end up making one that handles the actual error case and yeah, tries to fair. be a little nicer. That's fair, and you can always you can always pattern match on the kind of data that you need, and then have a fall through that actually raises like a real exception, like an argument error or something like that, and then explains why it's wrong. Mm-hmm. That that's also useful. Like if you want to go that that extra mile, but I think that you know having those contracts in place are really really useful. It's often that you can't quite know what those contracts are supposed to be. Like especially the divide by zero thing. Like that, yeah. that those are errors that happen, and it's like largely they happen because we don't think through all the preconditions that you need or you know whatever. Right. So they just happen, but once you realize them. And, you know, you might discover them through, I don't know, say it's doing something like property-based testing. You can put those preconditions in place. And then at least the error you're returning is, a, is one that says, like, you can't misuse my function. So let's let's think about this from the bottom up. So the first thing that you could do is not put any guard clause in and just let the divide by zero exception blow up, right? Mm-hmm. And that gives people some information, but it might be down at a level that they're not actually looking at. Mm-hmm. So then you decide to raise an exception if they pass in a zero that maybe gives them a little more information and it's at the top level of your function instead of down inside of it. So then what do they do? What do the users of your API do? Like they need to guard. So then do they raise an exception to you? No, no, you just, you crash. You just let it crash. This, and this, this, is, is, this is actually one of the main benefits in my mind. Because if you think about how processes crash 
in your Elixir, you know, application, Mm -hmm. the majority of the time is because your state gets bad. For whatever reason, you make a programmer error and your state turns bad. And in that case, constantly unwrapping OK and error tuples, like, isn't going to save you. Especially, like, in these scenarios where you're just calling a thing with bad data. You actually, like, having it blow up is a feature at that point. Because you blow it up and then you reset back to a good state. And so you, you like, that's a benefit. So the OKR tuple, at some point, you you might change to return that whenever the incoming data you expect that sometimes it, it's going to be bad. Yeah, like I a, mean, there's definitely, there's definitely like, there's definitely a, a spectrum of things here, right? But I see how people reach for things like OK and error tuples a lot, like mm-hmm. a lot, a lot. And I actually think most of the time, not most of the time, I think there's a, like, I think there's a much higher percentage of the time where you ought to be raising exceptions instead of, you know, trying to like unwrap maybes everywhere. Mm. Because as we've discussed, maybes aren't that useful. Maybes are not the best, not always the best option. Right. Maybe. Maybe (laughs) not. (laughs) I'm sorry, uh, I try to let your jokes go without drawing attention to them, but I, I can't. I just can't. But like, but you know, some like there are times where I mean, obviously in the in the case of like decoding protobuffs or decoding, you know, JSON or something like that, like you do want to sort of maybe unwrap those things because you're dealing at the level of users and you probably want to return like a meaningful error back to your users, right? But if you're inside some process somewhere, you're actually kind of better off like crashing the thing you're better off letting it blow up. And and the way you let it blow up is not constantly unwrapping all these things. Like, raise the exception. Let it blow up. Capture the SASL log and figure out what's going on. But yeah, like, I think in those scenarios, you're way better off, like, blowing the thing up because your data is invalid. Like, your state's invalid. So just crash. You're trying to call a thing. That thing should not allow you to call it with bad data. Just crash. And then come back up you're going to come back up in a good state. You're going to get new, hopefully good state, because hopefully you didn't try to do something silly like event source your state somewhere into a durable store, and then you stored bad state, and now you're going to come back up in bad state, and you're going to crash over and over again. You come back up in, like, pristine state, and you start, you know, reaccumulating your your data, and you move on with your life. Fair, fair. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to think, because I have this, like, reaction that, if you're going to take data, that that whole like, is this expected? Is this an expected error or not? Mm-hmm. And and I I think it's fair to say in in a lot of instances that there are a lot of unexpected errors, <laughs> so it's okay. And I'm I'm trying to think back of my own decisions recently, and if if they match with that or not. Mm-hmm. And I I I will actually frequently build prototype APIs that just throw exceptions all over the place because mm-hmm. I don't care. And then when I go back and build them again, that's when I start to change. And and I, I think I'm going to keep this in mind. Yeah, I think it's it's not a thing that, you know, we don't need to do this everywhere. And obviously, like I said, there's a spectrum of this where if you're closer out to where the users are, like, yeah, you probably want to return meaningful errors back to them or some client that's calling you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that we, I don't think exceptions are nearly the thing is nearly as evil as anybody like kind of acts like they are. I don't think they're nearly as bad as 
the docs or like pe- the docs that people cite or the blog posts that people cite or whatever would lead you to believe. And I think by and large, like we ought to be using them more than we are. I don't know if that means we need to use them all the time, but you know, put guard clauses around things, like throw real exceptions around things. Like don't let people call your functions with bad data. And if they do throw an exception, that's a really reasonable use case for that. That's, that's fair. I think that, and it's better than the alternative of returning like, okay, an error or, or returning nil or something like that. Like neither, neither of those semantics make sense in that scenario. Or, or if you notice yourself trying to handle the exceptions, in, mm-hmm. in an API that you built at a slightly higher level, then maybe they should not return an exception. Like if you know how to handle it, maybe they should return an error. And that's, I think, part of where I start to say, hey, I'm, if I want to handle this, I should probably not throw an exception, mainly because of the baggage that comes along with throwing an exception. It, it, there is overhead in building the stack trace and all of that. And I've, I've seen that um, not as much in Elixir, because usually the stack traces are very shallow because of the different processes. But in other languages, I've seen where handling exceptions, but even just because the exception was created, was slowing the system down a lot. Right. So, yeah. So there are other reasons that you might not want an exception, like performance, but or if you're handling it. So yeah, I, think I mean, maybe, yeah. I, th- I think if, if you if you if you're in this point of like handling a lot of exceptions, like trying to capture a lot of exceptions, you know, uh, maybe you just want a process. Like maybe you just want to spawn a process and do all your work in there, and then you know, cast the result back to the to the to the other process, like to the spawning process, or you know, maybe there's a different way to rethink that problem. Yeah, yeah, a lot of choices in there. I think that's typically where I would fall towards. It's like, I would just rather have a process that can crash most of the time. Interesting. Now you make me want to go write something, not not some big thing, but just write something that that does nothing but exceptions and spawn processes whenever I have <laughs> well, exceptions I mean, you that know, I want to There's obviously handle. like, there's that. There's the, there's the taking it too far approach. Well, I, um, I want to take it too far though. Like, you know, I, I want it in a small project, not anything serious, but. I want to take it too far just to to push that idea into my head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's, there's something there. I would not, I don't know. My my encouragement is always to people like, you know, th- these things are not that bad. These things are tools, and and they're there for a purpose. And then you just need to find out what that purpose is. Yeah, you just gotta try stuff. It's okay. My special purpose. So yeah. So recap. Okay, and error tuples are cool, but if you're going to do the error tuple, return the exception. That's a yep. pro move, as we've discussed. Yes. If you want to be a pro <laughs> like the pros do, then you return the exception. Uh, we're. I think we, you might need to talk to Brian about that a little bit. Because <laughs> uh, I, th- I Why think is that? that I think that he had a problem with that before, and it made him angry. Oh well, I think so. I don't. Remember. I think it was Bri- Brian Nagel. Well, he can. Uh, I'm sure it was user error. I always think I'm saying his last name wrong. I probably am. I've known him for way too long to not know how to say it, too. I'm a horrible You're the being. worst person. I know. Anyway, friend of the show, Brian. Anyway. Uh, once I said friend of the show, he, he'll he get over me. Yeah. Mispronouncing being, being his last name. At you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think there, that's a that's definitely very reasonable. I would say, you know, don't always reach for okay and error tuples. Maybe just like, maybe it's not appropriate for your use case. And in a lot of these scenarios, like 
maybe it's just like way more annoying for your users to have to do that. So there's a time and a place for all those kinds of things. Don't do things because a blog post told you to, no matter how good the blog post was. Well, I I think there's just so many nuances. I'm not going to say that anybody who says that in a blog post is, is wrong though. Like there are so many nuances that they're going to miss and that you might miss. So that's also why I like to make little projects and push whatever idea it is to the extreme is because then hopefully I figure out those nuances that aren't going to come out in a post. Right. 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 No. Right. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to write a book on, on exceptions. Mm. And I have read books only on exceptions. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> why though? Uh, Avdi Grimm has a book, uh, exceptional Ruby where he talks about handling exceptions and doing different things in, in Ruby. And basically just ways to not use exceptions. So I thought, no, no, Ruby likes its exceptions. Well, there are it throws some, exceptions just anywhere. There are some It'll really, do it. really interesting things that you can do with exceptions in Ruby. Like the, the way that you, uh, catch exceptions is, is very, very different. Like you, you don't just have to catch an exception by its, its class. You can catch exceptions by the messages inside of them and all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm hmm. So mm-hmm. not that you ever should catch an exception by the message inside of it, but I don't write Ruby. That's my main goal in life. <laughs> I have the same thing. It's COBOL though. <laughs> See, unlike, un- unlike what feels like the rest of the, unlike what feels like the rest of the Elixir community. Like I, I never had strong affections for Ruby. Uh, I still I, use it as like a surrogate pearl. Uh, yeah. It, it's a, I think it's a better pearl. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Alan. Well, but, I mean, I don't have a, I don't, I don't have any sort of stake here in, in any of these fights. Yeah, uh, I, I, I but really I use like, it. Yeah, it's my, I use it as like a, a pearl. I, That's I, how I, I use it. I like Ruby, although I haven't written much of it in about three years. Yeah, so I just think you know, it's like I never learned that much of the about the internals of it. Ah, uh, and I dove into it. I but I did it from two thousand five to two thousand. Yeah. I was. I didn't even go to college. Like, I wasn't even in college then. Oh my gosh, I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Set yourself up for this. You're we, just need like, to, set, we need to. We need to serve. Spike. We yeah. We, we on need yourself. To have, I need to find some guests for the show that are old. You played yourself. <laughs> you played yourself. I can't help it. All right. Well, I better get back to it today. All right. I could talk to you all day and we could I think we've given people here, but I think we've given people what they want. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think so. I mean, we talked about my yard and mosquitoes mm-hmm. and house painting and all kinds of other frou-frou stuff, which is what they're here for anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's the great like I said, that's a grade A elixir content that people are tuning in for every week. Done. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess I'll catch you later. Later. Bye.